Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter one, two, four of the Corona Diaries. And we've started early in case we miss anything. Yes, we don't want to miss the gold. We don't want to miss the gold, which of mm. course brings its own challenge that I still haven't got a clue what we're going to talk about, but that's fine. <coughs> that's the gold right there. That's the gold right there. Apparently, according to feedback, they much prefer it when we don't know what we're doing. Well, you just said, and I have to share this, you just said <coughs> that you met somebody who listened to the podcast. I met a bloke called Rob yesterday in a pub garden and he said, oh, I've been listening to your podcast. And I thought, oh, shit, there's people out here who actually listen to this and that I can even meet occasionally. Mm. I better mm. be careful what I say. Do you uh, not think nearly two and a half years in it's possibly a little late? It might be. The damage might be done. The horse may have bolted. The cat may indeed be out of the bag. I think, yes. But then that that got me on thinking about something else then. Because it goes to the world, mm. the world, mm. you know, I wonder if we've got any famous listeners. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've certainly got people who know famous people. Yes. And, and I imagine occasionally like to mention it. <laughs> I got a good uh, comment from a bloke called Matthew today when I opened my laptop, who who, who um, can can um, assure us both that Hugh Grant is a lovely bloke. I read that as well. Yeah. That mm. was, uh, mm. And he mentioned Trevor Dawkins as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, who, who's now working for Ed Sheeran or Ed Sheeran, depending on your point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on your speed of typing and the, the hour of the day. Ed so Sheehan. Think, Who is that Ed Sheehan? If it's a if it's a kind of a, a pseudonym he uses, if that's his his name to check in under when he doesn't want to be recognised, it's not a very good one. No, he'd be better off going with something else. Yeah. I personally recommend train robbers. <sighs> But there we what are. you you take the names of train robbers when you check in places? <laughs> I do. Yeah, <laughs> Ronnie Biggs. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Honestly, I mean seriously, you check in as Ronnie Biggs. I do occasionally. Yeah. If oh, <laughs> good one. When I'm in Brazil. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Bet nobody I bats did, an eyelid. <laughs> Nobody bats an eyelid. No, so if you are, if you are a listener and you're famous, then let us know. Mm. Yes, be do. To know. Do because there's nobody there's nobody famous in the band outside of you listens. So it'd be quite nice to see if anybody famous 
Hmm. You never know, do you? No. You just don't no. never know. No. Maybe, I don't know. Nancy Pelosi. Oh, yeah. That's you funny know? you should mention Nancy, because earlier this morning I was listening to Bono on Desert Island Discs. Because somebody had been talking to me about that and saying it was it was worth checking out. If you don't like Bono, listen to that because you might like him at the end of it. Because he is he is actually quite a. Let's say he's 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 very aware of his own faults, you know, and the that kind of Bono that everybody thinks he is, you know, the really up his own ass godlike character. You're talking about twatty Bono, aren't you? Yeah. He kind of acknowledges that that is one of the Bonos and he's trying to keep a lid on it. And he said, he said, I've got a lot of anger. He said, I went for anger management therapy, but it made me angry. <laughs> now, it's very interesting that you say that only because I've been reading the diary. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to give anything away. Well, no, I am going to give something away. But I haven't read it today, actually. Have you, have you not? Well, let me just read. And I don't think we'll get to this section today. I've got a sneaking suspicion it's going to be next week. But right. as you're mentioning anger management, I will just say Phil Brown and you not quite throwing a computer monitor across a hotel reception. Oh. I don't remember that, but I'm sure, you I'm sure my memory will be refreshed. Just when you mentioned anger management, you were trying to check into a hotel in Barcelona and the guy uh, who was supposed to be checking you in decided to check in somebody else instead. Oh, well, that's going to make you cross, isn't it? Mm. That's just natural. I think so. Though I've never felt the need to reach over the counter, grab the monitor and hurl it across the floor. Haven't used that not normal. (laughs) Well... Have you never thrown a mic stand at a monitor, man? No. No. Uh, I've been known to throw a golf club. I'm not proud of it, you know. not proud of... Nobody should ever be proud of getting angry, should they? But it's always regrettable afterwards. Mm. But, you know, it's just the monkey in us, that's what it is. It's just that chimpanzee that wants to tear all the other chimpanzees apart. Hmm. Well, we'll we will get to that in due course, but I'll re- I'll remind you of Bono when we get to that as well. Okay, that's a good job. Bono wasn't there. Yeah, he, he's. Uh, I mean, he had his he had his uh, he had, you know he had his work cut out a bit, Bono, because his his mum died in his early teens, I think, and his father had to cope on his own, and his father had his own issues that which he didn't even find out about till later, so. I mean, I, you know, before you go knocking someone, you should try and bear in mind what they're carrying. Mm. Um, and I'm not carrying much, so I've I've got far fewer excuses than Bono has if I'm throwing computer monitors around a reception. It must be just because I'm a pillock. Mm. Well, we'll let everybody make their own mind up on that one. <laughs> I think it would be unfair to prejudge. <laughs> <laughs> in other news, have well, we started? Well, well yes, we have. We let, have. But let that's me fine. apologise then for all this sucking and mouth noise that's probably all over my audio because I've. Well, I've what are you doing? Well, I've just finished my muesli. 
Um, Are you shifting a few a bit of detritus? I kind of, you know what it's like. Muesli, it's there's mm. all sorts that, that you've got to clear out afterwards. <laughs> and try as you might to leave it alone, you just find you go there, don't you? Out of you go there. So that's that's what all is sloshing and. For a moment, Isabel. I had a thought that we could we could do a little thing about band members and breakfast cereals. Mm. So Ian Muesli would be the obvious one. <laughs> but I, 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 I stopped at that point because I can't think of another one. Right. No, you, you, no. No. No, that, no I think that's Mark a non-star. Mark Cornflake. Pardon? Mark Cornflake. Mark Cornflake. Steve... Raspberry special K. <laughs> Ricicle. <laughs> Rice. Steve Ricicle. Ricicle. I like Steve Ricicle. <laughs> we'll put it on the next album. We'll credit ourselves <laughs> as breakfast cereals. I mean, right, Jesus. Ian Muesli, Mark Cornflake, Steve Ricicle. Every album we put, Marillion R, you know, H vocal, Steve Rodriguez. Yeah. Well, surely they know. Do we would really have, have so. to put this, but... It always seems to go on there. But maybe we can be breakfast cereals next time. I like that. Any suggestions you want to add in? So so here's the list so far today. <laughs> if you're famous and you listen to this, can you please tell us? Uh, which, of course, means we, we can then judge whether you really are famous or not. Um, and we probably will. And if you can think of cereal, breakfast cereal, breakfast food, it doesn't have to be cereal. It doesn't have to be cereal, does it? No, no. Oh, uh, but something breakfasty. Um, to 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 improve on what we have, we have Steve Ricicle, uh, we have Mark Cornflake, and we have Ian Muesli. I think Ian Muesli might stick. I do think if I say so myself, that's quite good. I love Steve Ricicle. Steve I Ricicle. Like I could be Steve Hash Browns. Ah, oh, Steve Hash Browns. Mm. Or H Browns. H Browns. <laughs> now H Browns is good. H. Browns is good. Peach Travis, right. what could he be? He could be a kind of bacillus that you get on porridge. Um, mm? No, never mind. I'll, I'll, let's not let's not even contemplate that further. No, no. Peach bacillus. Right, so... <laughs> brackets that you get on porridge. That you get on brackets. That you... <laughs> I love the brackets. Right, uh, will, should we start? Should we start? I'm going to say, should we start proper? Like it's going to change. Hmm. Yeah, let's let's start properly. Okay. Uh, before actually, I'm saying that before we start properly, have you been watching the capture? No. What's right, that? You you must watch. It's a it's a BBC thriller. Uh, it's all about um, deep fakes and manipulating CCTV and the scary things people can do manipulating video um, and alternate reality and that kind of thing. It's, it is the best thing I have seen for years. Mm. It is phenomenal. I don't know if I can believe the news. They can do anything with computers these days. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I'm only saying that because we've been rehearsing the new kings and it's sort of in the front of my mind. Right. And we've got a new there. king, haven't we? So that's quite um, Yeah. Topical. We have. We have. Um, so, yeah, um, you might want to, when you climb on that tour bus in a couple of weeks, you might want to download the that. Capture. 
The Capture. There's right. two series. First series, I think it's a couple of years ago, it's about an incident with a soldier, but the second series is off the charts. Noted. So I'm three episodes in. It's amazing. Right amazing. on the palm of my hand. Right on the palm of my hand. The dog has chewed. <clears throat> right. Um, we, we're sort of... We were four-tenths of the way through Dryland, weren't we? Yes. Yes, I think we'd been on about games in Germany, hadn't we? You had. You Mm. had. uh, Or we had. That's where we'd got to. So we could do with picking up from there and see if we have far through. uh, And I've got a sneaking suspicion, and I haven't got it up, so I'll get it up to check, but I've got a sneaking suspicion that it's India next. Oh, India, yeah. Well, I used to live in Slough for a bit. Um, the first place Dizzy and I ever bought was in Slough. It was a sort of, you know, what, what we had to do to get on the housing ladder was, was go to Slough um, because it was cheap. So we went there and we lived on the edge of Slough. Is Slough the office? Is that where the office was filmed? Probably. It's one of those, mm. Slough's one of those places that, that people choose as a kind of typical rotten place. <laughs> like Basingstoke. It's not that rotten either. I mean, I was really pleasantly surprised when we moved to Slough. It's all right. I don't know what all the... I think I think this bad reputation is partly due to... Um, or should I say partly owing to, because I'm a bit of a stickler for this due to thing that's taken over the language because a train is due at seven o'clock. Nothing is due to bad weather, owing to bad weather. So I'm a bit of a stickler for the due to, owing to thing. But owing to um, a slightly iffy smell on the M4, um, when whenever you uh, whenever you saw the sign that said Slough, it was accompanied by a bad smell because I think there was a bit of bit of a sewage works at that point on the M4, and I think I think years of people going Slough, oh Jesus, what's that? Has led to Slough having a worse reputation than it otherwise might have. Um, so we moved. I mean, we did move to the right end of Slough. To be honest, it was it was. It was the Eton end, because Eton's, Eton's not far from Slough. It's only over the, over the motorway, you know. And Datchet, which is also very nice, which is where Daryl Way used to live. And I've got a single out with Daryl Way. Uh, yes, m- I Much meant to, to my immense that. surprise. <laughs> <laughs> what well, he did... This happens quite a lot with me and you, that, that we'll have an episode and we'll talk away and then something quite big will happen, like normally on Wednesday. Hmm. It's normally a Wednesday. At which point I'm thinking, he didn't mention that. <laughs> why, why did he not mention he'd actually got a song coming out in two days' time? Well, it was all a bit of a... Um, what's the word? Daryl sent me... He said, oh, he said, oh, I'm doing this... Uh, I'm writing this album about, uh, I don't know, the progress of a rock star. And would you fancy singing on it? And he sent me a few things, and I thought, oh, it's not really me, this. So I, I sort of emailed back and said, it's not really me, Daryl. Have you got anything a bit moodier? And there was one moody song on the album, which is this Morpheus, which I assume is about heroin. Um. 
And uh, I thought, oh, that's much more up my street. Um, so I sang on it really just as a thank you because without Daryl, I probably never would have joined Marillion and, and everything that's happened since probably wouldn't have happened. So I, I do, I am indebted to him for um, preventing me joining the the um, and for all the music that have since, and the words, of course, as well, that have since since gone out in the world. Uh, so I said, yeah, I'd like to do something, you know, just for, just as a thank you, really. So he sent me this song and I, I and the words, you know, and I, I had a stab at it up here, uh, up here in the attic and sent it back to him and he loved it and he said, oh, it's great. He said, okay. I said, yeah, yeah, knock yourself out. Um, and then he said, I'm so pleased with it. I'd like to release it as the first single. Do you mind? So I said, well, no, not really. You know. Um, so I think I think that was it. And the next thing, I was getting artwork and emails from managers and God knows what. Um, so it's it's got a bit out of hand, like so many other aspects of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Vibes who said you should, you should put that on your gravestone. It's got a little bit out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's actually really quite right there. <laughs> well, look at look at this because I was thinking this morning, two, nearly two and a half bloody years. What we've been doing this? Is it that long now? Yeah. Blimey, I thought it was about a year and a half. So it's uh, I'm a year short. Well, fifth. 50, 124 episodes, so a year's 52, that's 104 for two years, that's 20, 20 weeks past, mm. six weeks off. Well, you could, yes, a fool could have worked that out. Yes, yes. And you did. I did. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't. <laughs> ah. But that's, mm. you know, how's this, how's this, because this has got very out of hand. This has got completely out of hand. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Good Crooncast last week, by the way. Ah, well, you suggested Simon's car, didn't you? I think, in passing. Yeah, but I, I thought you'd maybe, you know, have a little noodle and what have you, and, you know, but you, you came back full full production and everything. Well, you know, it's only a couple of pianos. Um, but it was, Don't I mean, say it was that a, to a removal, man. It was in a completely different key, so it was a bit more moody, you know. I sound better lower these days than I ever used to, I think, um, which which always sort of, if you place things a bit lower down, it makes them moodier, it gives them a bit more gravitas. And so, and my, so it was quite nice in that key, because I, I think originally it was... Was probably in C and I dropped it to A or something. Um, I was going to say something about that. What was it? Oh, somebody said someone left a note on the H guest book. It could have been, was it Chrissy Beach? No, it wasn't Chrissy Beach. Um, anyway, somebody left a note on the on the H guest book saying, Who was Simon? Um, and I think it was two people. It was Simon Templar. It was yeah. Simon Templar's blue uh, Volvo sports car, 
But it was also Simon D's white E-type because, I don't know if you remember Simon D, he had a chat show in the 70s. Um, no, I don't. And it was called D-Time. Check out D-Time on... Uh, he was one of these Jonathan Ross characters who just seemed to come fully formed out of nowhere. And you thought, how's he got that gig? You know, what's been going on in the back room of the BBC for him to suddenly appear like that, you know, with his own chat show? Um, which, um, it was that actress who famously said that to Sarah Miles was once interview interviewed by Jonathan Ross. And there was this thing going around about Sarah Miles drinking her own urine, which I think was one of those things that had been made up by some idiot of the Daily Mail. And he asked her about it. And instead of addressing it, she just said, Jonathan, I think the viewers would be really keen to find out how you got this job. And the air froze, you know, and went from, <laughs> hey, yeah, to... Uh, uh, so she knew something that most of us don't and Jonathan certainly wasn't owning up um, so kudos to Sarah Miles whether or not she drinks her own urine and if she does drink her own urine additional kudos mm. um, but there was a similar I digress there was a similar chat show in the 70s called D-Time with this guy, Simon D, who was a bit, oh, and a bit free. And the introduction to D-Time was him screaming down the road in in his convertible whitey type Jaguar with a leggy blonde next to him with her, with her hair blowing in the wind. And uh, that was a desirable situation and a desirable car. So... I think when I was writing Simon's car, I was thinking about both of those cars at once because they were both cool cars. And that song was written for uh, Eleanor Bron, who I was in love with at one point after her uh, appearance in the Help movie. I thought she was fantastic. And so I wrote a song, I Love You More Than Mrs Peel, and all of those sort of 60s icons. Mm. Andy Warhol's flowers and Lou yep. Reed's guitar, guitar. Sandy Shaw's toes and all of that. That must mean that your saint then must have been Roger Moore. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it was remade, wasn't it? Probably around about late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. But you're talking about the Roger Moore saint. Absolutely. Yeah. The, 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 the Roger Moore saint with the... Um, with the blue estate Volvo. Now, another interesting aside is that David Lord, who produced um, Dry Land, used to have one of those Volvo sports cars. And it was that car in which Peter Gabriel was sitting, uh, that rain-soaked car with Peter behind the windscreen, ah. and the f which I think was the first Peter Gabriel album, that was David Law's Volvo sports car. Small world. Small world. Not many people Small know world. that. No, no. And that was a far more subtle name drop. I like that. Well, I only know that because David told me. He said yeah. it was my car he was sitting in. Mm. 
But that was that was far that that didn't clank that one <laughs> when it hit the ground. It just didn't sound it, like it, a blatant attempt. No, no, it landed really gracefully. <laughs> you that know one. who I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Slough. Oh yes, back to Slough. Back to Slough. Back to reality. We still haven't formed the link between Slough and India, though. Ah, right, okay. Well, so we lived in Slough um, for a bit in a little Lego house thing. In fact, it wasn't even a house. It was one room with a, um, a shower room, and the kitchen was part of the room. It was a kitchenette, and there wasn't a bedroom, so we used to sleep on a sofa bed, and I used to sleep on the... On the uh, well, as you looked at it from the bedhead, from the foot end, I would have been on the right. But if so, I felt like I was on the left hand side of the bed. It's a bit like it's one of those stage left right things, isn't it? I was on the stage left in the bed, and the fridge was about 15 inches from my head. So I used to lie trying to get to sleep at night with the fridge going, thinking, God, blimey, I can't get to sleep for the sound of the fridge. In fact, I could probably reach out, open the door and get myself a sandwich. Um, so we were in this little ha- house in Slough and I, we used to walk into Slough sometimes, obviously, to go shopping and groove around. And there were, I'm just trying to think, there was quite a big a big shop um, that sold, maybe it was a supermarket. It was a kind of a supermarket, I think. And there used to be an awful lot of uh, Asian girls, you know, working in the shops because quite a lot of Asians in Slough for the same reason we were there, you know, the rent's cheap, I suppose. And um, they, you know, and and so I'd be be queuing up to pay for whatever. Um, And uh, one, one day there just happened to be a... Probably quite attractive. I can't honestly remember, but there was a young, there was a young Indian girl on the checkout, and I just started, you know, thinking about what if you were in what if you were in love with a girl from India, and what would that bring to you? And, you know, just started mulling over Asian Asian culture, and it came from it came from there. It came from just seeing the uh, the Asian girls in Slough, I think. There's a lot of stuff on that album about you falling in love with different people, isn't there? Or potentially. Well, when I was younger, I mean, I'm not nearly so bad now, but when I was younger, I I had an incredibly um, hungry heart, you know. Um, maybe maybe everybody does at a certain age. But I could, I could feel physical pain. Um you know, looking at someone I didn't know. Um, very, you know, just extremely romantic. Mm. Extremely romantic. I used to find it very hard to... Um, <laughs> to to mark a difference between people who were doing something for me for money and doing something for me out of the goodness of their heart. So I always fell in love with waitresses because like, it's not amazing... She just brought me a burger. Isn't that lovely? You know, I didn't think, well, it's her job. That's what this person has to do. I couldn't help but 
you know, feel deep gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> which, like led, which led immediately to, to massively romantic notions, you know. Um, a bit like Granville falling in love with a milkwoman, aren't you? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. But to be fair, the milkwoman was Barbara Flynn and she was gorgeous. I mean, I wasn't in, you know, in, in love's probably a bit too big a word for it, but, but I was, uh, you know, very, very romantic in that sense. Um it's no wonder you found yourself to big shirts, is there? There's no wonder big shirts formed part of your life. That big flouncy. No, I think poet I was thing. also in love with the idea of being, you know, a, a great romantic poet, drinking red wine out of a skull of an evening, mm. you know, and uh, doing things that made no logical sense other than out of pure romanticism which is a lovely ideal really isn't it but doesn't really last long in real life were you born a hundred years too late yes well no (laughs) (laughs) yes and no (laughs) i was born a hundred million pounds too poor that's what i was born (laughs) not a hundred years too late if i'm just thinking if i'd been born a hundred years earlier I'd have probably been um, a swineherd. You know, I'd have been covered in shit and living out in the cold. So no. Uh, no. I, you know, I was I was born I was born a hundred years too poor, I think. Right. That was it. Right. I would have loved to have just, you know, been Lord Byron and flouncing around in a big shirt and round Newstead Abbey and Italy. Um Drinking wine out of skulls, composing poetry, and eloping, eloping with with even wilder women. Mm. Newstead Abbey was very close to where I grew up. Oh. It's not that far away from where you grew up. My mum took me to Newstead Abbey when I was a kid, and they had peacocks. And I thought there was a. I said, "Mum, there's a bird over there with no head." And all, all you could see, it was fanning its feathers out. You could only see his arse. And I thought that was the whole bird. I thought it was some kind of a creature that only had a back end and legs. <laughs> that is, that's, that's a lovely idea <laughs> in one respect. I mean, it's, it's deeply troubling in another that's that's what I remember about Newstead Abbey, and it was only years later I found out that it was the seat of Lord Byron. Right? For me, it always just been a place I went to with my mum with with these strange creatures that turned out to be peacocks in the end. These headless, big-arsed birds. <laughs> We've all run into a few of them on a Saturday night. <laughs> I'm sure if you. That's got to be the definition in the Oxford Dictionary of Peacock, hasn't it? <laughs> Headless big ass bird. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so just just little little bit of a just so we know where we are, just so we know where India. we are. So India, 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 we were on, in, India. Uh, we were on in India. Yeah, that's right, that's right. I was just about to say we're thirty-one minutes into recording time. We've managed one track on the album. Yeah. And and we're probably, it's probably about time we need to go to diary. It's, it's an astonishing <laughs> achievement this morning. 
If Lord B was here, and I don't mean Lord Byron, I mean Lord B, our old, old, um, our old marketing press bloke, he'd be holding up the rabbit behind behind the uh, computer screen. He'd just come up and go down again. But then he'd have it so wrong because he he totally would have misunderstood what TCD's all about. Yes, we found a way of, of of exploiting and 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 delighting people. With the very thing that, mm. that he wanted to cut out. In, yes, yes. That's this is a bit of it? a lesson for him, really, isn't it? <laughs> I think we ought to get Lord B on. Yeah. Oh, he's great value. Yeah, we should get yeah. Lord B on. He would do it as well. Yeah, yeah. We'll get him on. We'll get him on for, for one of the zeros. Yeah, get him on for a zero. Let's do one more track before no, we go to no, Diary. he can drop names. Jesus, he knows a few people. <laughs> It'll be a masterclass. Mm, it will. I'll be left in the dust. We'll need some form of sound effect. <laughs> for um, each name. For each name dropped. Thing. Um, oh, oh there, there we have it. Week. There's your sample every single week. There we go. Let's see. Yes. I can fix oh, that now in seconds of a so much yeah, experience. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. On the subject of samples, I used a I used a squeaky bike horn um, mm. to get rid of you giving out your address last week. Not quite <laughs> sure what we'll use this week. Um, hasn't happened yet, but there's plenty of time. Um, let's do one more. Let's do the Rainbow Room um, oh. before we go to Diary. Yes. Well, there is there is a sort of bar in, in on uh, Sunset Boulevard in LA called the Rainbow Room. And this is not about that. Um, the Rainbow Room was something I imagined as a kind of asylum, really, uh, or a, a correctional facility, or yeah, well, more of a hospital, perhaps, than, than a correctional facility, um, where you go and recover from psychedelic fits. Uh, we're all getting a little... Some fire to get better on the time the roof will fall. Well, it's about you know it's again it's about um, at what at what point we'll kill the world. Um, I guess there's a lot of images in the in that lyric that that I, I've gone back to time and time again within Marillion. Um, while the animals escape. The cracks in the wall, cover all the stains with emulsion paint. It's just, it's just about um, you know being being in some kind of of psychosis or mental crisis, really. So it's about an asylum um, with your value printed on the clothes you wear and your self respect and your nose in the air, watching million faces going down the tube. Beaten up like you. I used I used to, we Europeans used to rehearse in Chelsea in the middle of the night. I lived out at Shepperton and spent a lot of time transiting through Waterloo Station and going down the underground. And I used to watch the million faces going down the tube, you know, going down the escalators. Well, but also it's a metaphor, obviously, for down the tube. Uh, beaten up like you, beaten black and blue. You've been spoon-fed this from your infancy, every sound you've heard, every picture you've seen. 
just about what society does to you. Um, and it was a bit of an afterthought. We we hadn't written it while we were making Dry Land. It's something we knocked together afterwards in the interim, and we we'd already finished. And so we booked a little bit of time in the middle of the night in a studio somewhere in London. I don't even know where we went, where we went uh, for that. And we did it with Warren Livesey, who uh, then went on to produce Infected for Matt Johnson and Diesel and Dust for uh, Midnight Oil. Um, so we, we, we'd been working on and off with Warren for a few years. We discovered him in a little studio in Hoxton Square in the East End of London when we went to make some demos. And we thought he was a great engineer and so we, we we built up a relationship with him. And as I've probably already said, he was the first person through the door into the maternity ward after my first wife gave birth to my daughter Sophie and they all thought he was the father because he got in there before I did. Um... And to this day, I don't really know what led to him visiting my wife in hospital. <laughs> you, you could perhaps form your own conclusions, but uh, we we we'd become friends, and we became uh, me, me and Dizzy used to go and, and meet up with Warren and his wife a lot. So we were good chums by then, and maybe he was working out in Chertsey or something, and just happened to be passing by. Because um, they were born in Chertsey Hospital, and so um, that's one. And um, interestingly enough, we when we were on out on the road doing the with the uh, string quartet and whatnot a couple of years back, we had a guy called Harry Payne who was opening uh, opening act for us, and. He'd got a double bass player. It was just him and a double bass player. And he was Warren's nephew by pure coincidence. He said, oh, Warren says hi. I said, what? Because I've not spoken to Warren in 20 years. Um, so, again, small world. Warren, Warren lives his nephew, plays double bass and was playing bass with Harry Payne, who who opened for Marillion. Um so anyway, we 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 went into this studio in the middle of the night to, and and recorded the Rainbow Room with the with the with the marimbas and the guitars and all of that, and it's got great energy. I really, you know, I was really pleased with it, and I think it it did end up on the album, didn't it? Did it end up on the album? It's it, well, according to Wikipedia, it's in the list, and I haven't checked the album yeah. itself in terms of got it off the shelf. No, I'm going with the Wikipedia listing. Maybe we so. added it later. But it was it it wasn't on the main sessions that we did with David Lorne. Mm. It, it 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 sort of appeared later. Does that happen very often? Well, that happened with really... Ice Cream Genius and, and the last thing we'd we, we'd finished the album, and then I had this song left over called "The Last Thing." That that um, maybe it was just before we finished the album. Richard Barbieri, Dave Gregory. We're still in the studio at the, at the racket club and I'd got a drum machine and I was knocking together the last thing and I said, you, you don't just fancy going out and we'll we'll try and, 
you know, have a have a whack through this, see what emerges. And they uh, and they did, and it's wonderful. Um, I've met people who think it's the best thing on the record. <laughs> we did it in about five minutes. But Craig Leon didn't want it on the record because he hadn't produced it, I think, or he, he didn't feel a great deal of thought had gone into it. Um, so uh, there we are. Well, let's go to a bit of diary. Um, I think we're going to have a couple of uh, sections with you on a bus. Because mm. I think oh. you've made a decision to go for right. a bit of oh, bus Oh, is ride. it that? It's the long bus journey to Barcelona. Mm. I, was having so, a lot, I was having a lot of mar- marital strife at that point, and I, and I think I would sort of seize any opportunity to get out. And... Um, and so the bus was going down to Barcelona without anybody on it, and the band were flying in. And I, I asked the bus company if they'd mind if I went too. And they said, "Well, you can, but um, okay, you, you know, you won't get the usual service." I said, "Oh no, I don't care. I'll just, I'll just ride the bus." And so I ended up in the dark, you know, with the heating off. <laughs> And all that, you know, lying in my lying in my bunk on my own in the dark with the heating off, and the driver asleep or gone to a the driver had gone to a motel or something, and I was still on the bus, which was locked. I couldn't get off. Um, it was a long old journey down to Barcelona. It took took two or three days. Mm. Uh, I, I did I, read it this morning, thinking. He didn't think this through, did he? <laughs> no, I didn't. It got out of hand. Out. <laughs> it got out of hand. <laughs> go on then. Board your bus. Here we go. I don't know what's coming. I haven't read it. Here we go. Tuesday, 22nd of November. Bus. Slept well, but woken at 11.30 by the phone ringing. Thought it might be further crisis at home, so leapt out of bed to answer it. It was Mark who thinks he's left his passport in his suitcase. Of course he's in England and is supposed to be flying to Barcelona this morning. He wanted me to have a look in his suitcase to see if his worst fears are correct. I telephoned Eddie to ask if he can stop the bus at the next possible place so that I can haul his suitcase out of the bay, luggage area beneath the back lounge, and have a look. The phone call from Mark used up the last few pounds of credit on my phone and I spent the next 20 minutes trying and failing to re-credit it. Eddie stopped the bus at the next junction and I prepared to brave the cold and go and rummage in the bus bay. When I opened the door... Eddie was standing there saying he'd had a call from the UK and Mark has now found his passport. Apparently he'd had it all along. Sigh. Still, I can't talk. I do that kind of shit all the time. Even as I type, a pair of trousers are theoretically winging their way to Barcelona. I'll believe it when I see it. Got back aboard the pink bus and made a coffee. Went up front upstairs to continue this diary. As I write, we're south of Clermont-Ferrand, 
I must be at quite an altitude, as there's a thick frost out there clinging to the trees. The bus is labouring under the climb. It looks bloody cold out there. Beautiful. Just passing an exit for St. Ponce. More or less what my old games master used to call me. And Montpellier, 268 kilometres. Christmas card views. Glad I didn't miss this. Decided to photograph it and grab my camera. But as I returned to the front window, we were descending the hillside and the frost had all but vanished. Spent the next hour or two photographing the views, which were spectacular, although I'm not sure I'll have done them justice. I was hoping to photograph the new Milau Bridge, the highest and longest bridge in the world. Eddie wasn't sure where it was, but thought we'd probably be crossing it soon. It wasn't to be. We eventually pulled into a service station as Eddie's driving hours have again expired for the day. We'll be here now until the early hours of tomorrow. Went into the services and had a wash and changed clothes. Loads of photographs of the Milau Valley Bridge adorned the restaurant. I was really hoping to cross it in daylight. Unfortunately, it is south of us, so we'll cross it in the dark and I'll probably be asleep. Oh well. I'll try and stay up for it anyway. Having terrible problems with my mobile phone, O2, my service provider, only allow a total of £90 top-up in any given month, and I seem to have already spent that and run out. To put this into perspective, my one phone call from Sue last night cost me £22, and Mark used up another £8 this morning asking me about passports. For some reason, calls in France are costing a fortune. Now I'm out of credit and can't top up. Jesus, it's nothing simple in the modern world. I never saw this one coming or I could have bought a load of vouchers in England before I went away. I guess I'll just have to go back to how I did it in the old days. Production office phones where possible and hotel phones when I'm in one. So now here I am again at the front of the bus. Eddie's asleep and we can't run the engine, so there's enough power for TV and video, but not for heating. I'm in a French lorry park and it's slowly getting chillier. There's a frost outside now. I think I might go back over to the cafe and order a beer or a coffee. Went over to the service area and they couldn't serve me beer, so I ordered a coffee. After some delicate negotiation, I managed to get a large one with milk in it. Here in the south of France, they tend to drink only espressos. Sat at a formica table with the laptop and continued writing up the diary till they politely asked me to leave at 10.30. I'm afraid we're closing, sir. Nice people. Returned to the freezer and watched Puppet on a Chain, Alistair McLean's story about drug running in Amsterdam. Very 60s. Recommended mainly for the haircuts. Wednesday, 23rd of November, Barcelona. Got up in the night as the bus had slowed down, so I went up front to see if we were on the Milao Bridge, as I really didn't want to miss it. The road signs were in Spanish, so I'd missed it hours ago. Went back to bed. When I next got up, the bus was trundling through the main streets of Barcelona. It doesn't look warm out there. When Eddie pulled up at the Bikini Club... I remembered a Starbucks where I'd had coffee with Richard Barbieri when the H-Band played here, 
So I walked over with the laptop and wrote yet more diary while sitting in a soft chair in the window. Gabriel had texted to say that he would meet me at the gig at 12, so I made my way to the hotel to freshen up. Got to the hotel around 11.20 and attempted to check into the day room. The receptionist said I had no reservation. I asked to speak to the room of Mr Quinn, who wasn't in, and then to Ian M, who was in, and said sleepily that there should be a room in my name. While he was telling me this, an attractive young lady showed up and the receptionist began checking her in and continued to ignore me completely for the next 15 minutes while I became increasingly agitated. As the minutes ticked away and he made charming and polite conversation with his new and later than me guest, I contemplated having to go back and meet Gabriel unshowered after a two-day bus journey and generally in desperate need of facilities. I tried all the usual things, asking to speak to the manager, etc., but he continued to check in the girl to my right as though I was some kind of minor irritation. I decided to throw his computer monitor across the lobby and through the front window and was just reaching for it when Phil Brown, our monitor engineer, magically appeared. He said he'd been watching from the cafe across the street and thought he'd better come and help. I'm glad he did. He saved me a fortune. Not to mention getting arrested. He gave me his own hotel room key and I went upstairs and quickly showered before returning to the bikini to find Gabriel outside waiting in the street. Took him inside so I could drop my bag on the bus and said hello to Ivan. Took a taxi across town with Gabriel to a recording studio to meet Kit Flus, the most famous keyboard player in the whole of Spain. He is also doing the charity gig in December and he's going to play the piano while I sing Silent Night in Catalan. Gabriel had arranged a meeting so that we could decide which key would suit my voice best. Made our way into the studio and met Mr Kit Fluss, who seemed very nice and didn't speak a word of English. At length we settled upon C-sharp. I am to be later joined in the carol by school children who will sing in G. The move from G to C-sharp sounds really nice, so everybody's happy. We said farewell to Mr K and Gabriel took me to a little family-run restaurant nearby where we had steak and chips, followed by the local jamón, thinly sliced, smoked and salted, uncooked ham, a Spanish speciality, with tomato bread. All excellent. Gabriel introduced me to the lady of the house, a lovely Catalan lady who was serving us, as the best singer in the world. She knows he's running the Palo San Jordi, the biggest gig in Barcelona, frequented by U2, Madonna, Santana, Elton John and all the huge Latin American and Spanish stars I've never heard of. So she was very impressed and I dare say equally confused that she should have never heard of me. Gabriel and I chatted as best we could. His English is dreadful, but just good enough for me to follow his drift most of the time. He told me about some big Argentinian star as big as Maradona in Argentina, who had given him the tour jacket he was currently wearing. Do you like it? Yes, it's very nice, I said courteously. Then you must have it, a present from me. No, really, you mustn't. I have enough jackets. No, this is for you. It's important to me that you have it. 
What can you say to such generosity? I took it gratefully and made him promise not to give me any more presents. He duly said he would get me a Nyla Barker football shirt autographed by Ronaldinho. Well, I couldn't really turn that down. What a generous man, and what a lucky bastard I am to have him as a friend. We walked back through the city, looking for a taxi, past the place where Gabriel grew up with his mother. He told me he hardly knew his father, who had been a bit of a wanderer, at one point living rough on the streets. Gabriel said it was his intention some day to build a place in Barcelona for the homeless people to go. I have absolutely no doubt that he will. Back to the bikini for Sanchek. All okay. We're using house lighting tonight, so there's not much for our lighting crew to do. Jens will do his best, I'm sure. He's a talented chap and very attentive to the details. Just before Sanchek, my replacement Jean-Paul Gaultier trousers arrived via FedEx from London. One size down from the last ones, so I could do with losing a few pounds. If I can just stay off the beer. Ha ha ha. Got on the bus and went to bed, sleeping like a baby till 8.30. The show went well, the crowd were up for it, the gig was sold out and all the equipment worked. There were some lovely moments, a little jam I started before the party was really delicate. I'm getting to grips with the pink Les Paul now and it's begun to sound as good as it looks. Wore the Santa outfit at the end, saw a photograph of it later, looked bloody great, hurrah. Afterwards, chatted to Ivan and Gabriel at length, then went out into the street to sign autographs for the faithful. Lovely. Went back to the bus and put my cousin Vinny on in the upstairs lounge. Too tired to watch it, turned it off and went to bed. And we're back! Hey! We were just having a little bit of a giggle about the fact that we've done 40 minutes there of literally, I don't know what, but who cares? It's, it's, it's TCD. Yes. Well, I think there's some interesting pearls and facts, some of which have been said before, but perhaps a few new ones. Perhaps a few new ones. Perhaps a few new ones. Well, you've not read the diary, so I'm careful that we don't... I don't know why I'm being careful we don't repeat ourselves. We repeat ourselves most weeks on the diary. But um, it's it it's a lovely couple of extracts, I, I have to say. Particularly mm-hmm. with the fact you were desperate to see that bridge, which you never actually got to see. <laughs> no, that, that enormous bridge. That enormous yeah. bridge. Yeah, I, I missed it in the end, I think. And, and you I think we'd gone over it before, you know... <laughs> you had, you had... <laughs> Because <laughs> you couldn't read the signs, you had. Um, but, but also, with something you said earlier on about, I used to fall in love with waitresses just for bringing me something. I'm not convinced the people who served you in that French cafe you fell in love with. <laughs> if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. So it's just that endearing vision of you in your clothes with your bathrobe on trying to keep warm in a pitch black bus. Yeah, with the heating off. It was cold. And the driver was either asleep or he'd gone, you know. And, so, and I guess he wasn't going to leave the engine running anyway. So they can get very chilly if it's chilly outside, which it was. I think we were up mm. in the Pyrenees or somewhere. Mm. You said you were high up. Yeah, 
We were mm. up in the old up the Pyrenees. We were up the Pyrenees in a Frankie Howard kind of Frankie Howard kind of way. The thing, but Pyrenees is like a condition of the legs, isn't it? When you're particularly cold, I think I've got Pyrenees here. Got Pyrenees. I can't straighten them. The I'd not thought about it before, but if the driver's doing what he's doing, hmm. just getting a bus from literally L, if it's London to B, yeah, uh, in this case, and he's just going to pull over, sleep, and start driving again, he's not going to think about where he stops, is he? He's not going to worry about the facilities where he is. He's just pulling over, having a kit, and going again. It was a bit like that. I think he might have forgotten I was on there, to be honest, mm. at one point. Because not all of these buses have a door from the the bus area into where the driver's driving anyway. Some of them do and some of them don't. And so, and the drivers quite often lock those doors as well. So Well, you could understand why. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there we are. Yeah, I, I, I can't really remember it. I'll, I'll, you know, I haven't read it yet. But um, on, I mean, it was an interesting, you know, because I because I write for a living and, and my job is to go digging about in my inner self in my most pensive moments, an experience like that can be quite good for you. You know, it can be quite, it can be, it can spark a cre- the creative process. And I think that was part of my reason for doing it, just to see where it would take me. Not not geographically, but you know, in my mind. I don't think it took me anywhere, to be honest. It's so bloody freezing, <laughs> pneumonia. <laughs> Have you done it since? That's the romantic notion, right there again. And there's so many romantic notions about creativity. Um. You know, and the inspirational spark. Uh, but the truth is, you probably write more good stuff, I don't know, walking around a supermarket than you do sat on top of a mountain or, mm. you know, in the in the Zen Buddhist monastery or whatever people do to try and get going creatively. Um I once went to, in fact, the band, the band paid for me. <laughs> well, this is what they told me anyway. They they paid for me to go to uh, Bath for a week and just sit in an apartment and stare into space because I said I've got total writer's block. I've got nothing to say. I can't think of anything. I'm not ready. And they said, well, you know, why don't you just go somewhere nice and stare into space? So I said, all right, where should I go? And we decided I'd go to Bath. Um, and I was in this apartment in the centre of town, um, staring into space. And it was very nice, but I don't think I wrote anything. So you never know, you know. Let me just go over that again. You went into the into the racket. Yeah. There was a band meeting and they all asked, sorry, suggested. Yeah. That they send you somewhere for a week. Mm. Okay, that's fine. Nothing else to add to that. <laughs> yeah, I know how it looks. <laughs> you know, 
Um, what I, I did try and ask you earlier on, did you have you done the bus thing again? Have you ever have you again felt the need to go? Oh, well, I'll, I'll go and have a couple of days on the bus on my own. No, no, but I, I've I've often thought if ever I made any properly serious money, I would do that. I'd get I'd rent myself a tour bus and go and groove around Europe. You know, just like being on tour but without having to do the shows. It'd be great fun. Because the frustration is often that you, you just don't have time to fully take in the, the places that you go to. And sometimes that's just as well because you're in, I don't know, you're in some desperate industrial part of Germany or something. But then other times you might find yourself in the south of France or the north of Italy or north of Spain. And you could do with a few more days to enjoy it. So it'd be great, you know, it'd be be a, be a wonderful, luxurious way of of having a holiday. Would be to take a rock and roll tour bus across Europe, you know, stop for a, two or three days and then get back on, climb into bed and wake up in some other amazing place, you know. Oh, I'm in Antibes. Oh, how lovely! Take me to Rome, Frederick. Charlie, I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> All right, eight. Take me to Rome, Charlie. <laughs> we ought to get Charlie on as well. Oh, you definitely ought to get Charlie on. He's got more stories than than I'll I'll have if I talk to you forever. Right. Maybe there's a spin-off cast there. He was telling me about trying to find a draft for for Brian Ferry. And he said he'd go Brian Ferry on his tour bus. <laughs> and he said, he kept coming up to me and saying, Charlie, there's a draft on the bus. <laughs> he said, uh, I kept I kept stopping the bus and we kept walking around. We couldn't find a draft. He said, there's definitely a draft. He said, so in the end, he had me with a candle on my hands and knees crawling up and down, trying to find this drive. The, the thought of this enormous scouser on his hands and knees with a candle with Brian Ferry just creased me up. <laughs> Try over there. Try slightly to the left. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? No. Oh, maybe it's over here. I can't do a Brian Ferry impression. No. Maybe it's over here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have to stop there Oh, okay. We've only just started I have to find out if Brian listens <laughs> He told me a few, in, a few funny things about Brian But I can't really repeat them <laughs> Better get Charlie on then. <laughs> tour bus drivers. Now that's another thing. Tour bus mm. drivers. Because whenever I get on a tour bus, I ask the drivers, you know, who have you had on? And uh, they always tell me, you know, there's always interesting stuff comes out. I told you about the man who sets up the pool table for the Rolling Stones. You I? have told us about the man who sets that up the pool hysterical. table, yeah. And the Lady Gaga one. He said, I've been driving Lady Gaga. I said, oh, what's she like? So I don't know. She never got on the bus. Yeah. She'd yeah. done a whole tour me, yeah. and she never got on it once. <laughs> we, we, that, we might have to do 
reacquaint yourself with a few stories on the next <laughs> tour. And we might have to do a tour, a tour bus driver's story tour episode. Tour bus driver's stories. Yeah. My top ten. List your top ten tour bus driver's stories. Right. Okay. We'll do. Be about one twenty nine, I reckon, by the time you've you've got round. Yeah. Perfect. We might end up in court though over that. That's the trouble. Um well technically you might end up in court, but that's fine. That's fine. I'll I'll come I'll come with you for moral support. <laughs> and to see if there's any content we can wring out of it. I blame Ant, my lord, for asking me the question. Yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna fly. No, just, it's just not work. gonna fly. I'm feeling fairly smug about that. Right. We'll see you all. Bloody hell, it's 125 next. Oh. Right. Oh. Will you be on the road by then? When do you start? Is it the week after next or? No, it's next week. Next week, what I mean. Well, next it's Monday. We don't, we don't know where we're going to be because we're supposed to be in Glasgow next Monday. Mm-hmm. And we don't know if they're going to blow that out because of the Queen's funeral. It may well be, because it's the Royal Philharmonic Hall in Glasgow, out of respect to the word royal, they might not want to have a lot of low-life rock and roll going on when people should be at home weeping. Um, So It might go dark. We might not be able to do it. And if that happens, then... We'll we'll start in Blackburn on Sunday, and drive straight to York, and sit in York with our feet up for a couple of days. Worst places to have your feet up. Well, nice. we ought to work, we ought nice. to work out to do an, an next week's episode together then. Yeah, we could. We could have a a little York outing. A little York outing because I can get over to York in sort of an hour. I'll bob could... over to York and we'll go and find somewhere to. We could go to the museum. We, we could, could go to the railway museum. Railway museum. Mm. We could do it from between the driving wheels of the Mallard. Oh, let's do that. I could let's show do that. You, I could show you the little nipple. There's a nipple that I was shown where um, where you put the oil can in. To oh, oil. Did, you have, did you have to be shown it? Could you not find it yourself? I couldn't. My dad right. showed me it. My dad said, do you see that there? I said, yeah. He said, I used to have to oil that. I said, you're lying. He went, no, I did. When I was a lad, I used to have to crawl in between there and there and with an oil can and do that. Right, that's a date. Let's let's go and find your dad's special nipple. <laughs> that's an episode title. That's actually a podcast run. <laughs> In of itself, no, I reckon. My dad's special nipple. <laughs> <laughs> in which case, I'll see you in York. Okay then. Okay, in amongst the in amongst the steam engines, man. Yeah, yeah man. Train spotting. I love the railway museum. Mm-hmm. Me too. The Evening Star. That's in there, isn't it? With all the driving wheels and all of that. Isn't there oh. something Harry Potter in there as well? Oh, they well, probably isn't, have isn't, in more recent yeah. times. I've not yeah. been for years. Are we still? Have we finished? Or are we? Well, still we ought going? to finish. Actually, we're still going. We haven't. Oh, okay. We haven't actually said. We, there's a point we could have stopped. But we might still be. Who knows? It's hard to know. Depend- are you still there, folks? Are you still listening? Are you? Are you still there? Haven't you got homes to go to? Yes. Haven't you got headphones to take off? 
Right. Go well, on then, let's stop there. Let's, let's say, let's say ta-ta. Thank you for listening. I'm just going to board the Puffing Billy and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>